Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. I have a little question for you today as we get started, and, and it's this really. What happens to you when you get lost? Now, it's really hard to get lost these days, right? Because we've got Google Maps and we've got SatNav. How many of you remember the A to Z? Woohoo! How safe was that? Driving along, looking at the A to Z, trying to find that address that you were going to. And here's the reality. When you and I get lost in the car, okay, none of us like asking for directions, especially men. Am I right? We don't like asking for direction. No, 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 I know where I'm going, but you really don't. No, no, no. And we find we drive around forever because we are so proud that we won't ask for directions. Actually, research suggests that men are more confident when it comes to finding their way when they're lost, but not more competent. <laughs> Sorry, guys, that's the research. We are more confident, but not more competent. And actually, the research goes on, but the research does go on to say this. Men are better at map reading. Yes, all the men are nodding like that. But women are better at recalling the roots. So let's declare it's a draw. Amen. It's a draw. We're both as good as one another. But you know, when you get lost, and what men often do is we blame the map, we blame the roads, we blame the signage, we blame our wife, we blame everything else. What we don't do is admit that we are lost. Now, when it comes to finding your way in the road, that's one thing. What about when it comes to life? What happens when we find ourselves lost? When we find ourselves lost in life? And we're looking in these few weeks together, the start of this September series, at what makes us tick as a church. And really much of what makes us tick as a church is rooted in one chapter in the Bible, in Luke chapter 15, where Jesus, who's criticised by a load of religious leaders, doesn't answer them with response points and bullet points and, you know, you know, like a lawyer response. He doesn't do that. He tells three stories. And these three stories all have lots of things in common. In each of them, something is lost. Something that's lost is so valuable that it deserves and warrants an all-out search. And when that lost thing, a sheep, a coin, a son, comes home, there's a huge party and a celebration. An all-out search results in an all-out celebration. And what we said is in Luke chapter 15, it gets deeper and deeper. It's one in a hundred, one sheep to a hundred, one in ten, one coin to ten coins, and then one in two, one son out of two. And when that lost son came home, the father runs towards the son, embraces the son, brings him home, gets the fattened calf. Okay, there's a huge celebration. Everybody is excited because the prodigal has come home. Everyone's so excited that he's come home, aren't they? No, they're not quite. The fattened calf isn't very excited. But neither is the older brother. You see, last week we looked at this story through the eyes of the father. This week, we're going to look at it through the eyes of the older brother. And we need to do a bit of cultural work here as well, because when the younger son asked for his share of the inheritance, we think 50-50, that's not Jewish culture he would have got a third of the inheritance, but the elder brother would have got two thirds of the inheritance. And, and the, also, the older brother on the Jewish custom and on the Jewish kind of, uh, uh, kind, of, kind of the way they did their life, the older brother, now I'm an older brother because I've got a younger sister. Anyone here an older brother? 
not an older brother, okay. But the older brother isn't just who you are in birthing. The older brother, I want to suggest, is a spirit, okay, and it's a mindset and it's an attitude. But in actual older brotherness, okay, in Jewish culture, the older brother has a responsibility towards the younger son. Uh, and, and you don't get this when you just read the text. Uh, in fact, um, the books I've recommended, uh, Return of the Prodigal Son by Henri Nguyen, and also uh, Becoming a Prodigal Friendly Church by Jeff Luke. As many of you know, Jeff, he's a friend of ours. He's been at the church. Um, Alison and myself are going to Israel with him and Kay and a group from the church in November. And we're really excited about that. And Jeff, in that book, he writes this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. The older son, knowing that it was his responsibility to intervene and mediate in this developing conflict between the younger brother and his beloved father, did everything in his power to reconcile them. A peace was brokered. They all lived happily ever after. And great was the relief of the fattened calf. That's what he writes in the book. That's what should have happened but it didn't. And it raises up the question that's asked early on in the Bible story, in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, when these two brothers, Cain and Abel, had this dispute which ended up with one killing the other. And this question, am I my brother's keeper? And we're going to come back and answer that in a moment. But let's dive into the story. So the older son, okay, the older son, he's the mature one. He's the sensible one. He's the one that keeps all the rules. He colours within the lines. He's a good boy. The younger son, he's immature. He's reckless. He's selfish. He's impatient. He's got no self-control. He's a bad boy. Some of you women there, you know which one you prefer. The bad boy. And you need help for that, okay? But here's the, here's the reality. You've got, you've got an older boy and you've got a younger boy. And the younger one leaves, and we always say he was the lost one. I want to suggest to you, the older son who never left the home was just as lost as the younger one who did. And I want to show that to you as we dive into it. You see, Jesus is telling these three stories in response to the criticism of the religious leaders, including the Pharisees. And all the way through the stories, the religious leaders would not have identified themselves in anything until Jesus starts talking about the older son. At this point, they now start to squirm a little bit. You see, Pharisees, if you know that word Pharisee, if you're newer to faith and the Bible, you might have heard that word Pharisee. They began so well. They were so passionate about God. They were so passionate about keeping the law of God. They had zeal, but that zeal was hijacked and distracted and kind of diverted. And so much so that it ended up in their zeal for God was replaced with zeal for religion. And you know, they had 228 laws for how you could eat a meal with other people. That table fellowship. And so Jesus is speaking into that. He's speaking into the fact that you and I can get so lost in the house that we're as far away from the father as the lost son that went off into a distant land. We can be so close and yet we can also be so far away. You see, the younger son was the bad boy come good. The older son was the good boy gone bad. Just as lost as the other one. So let's go to the Bible. Luke 15, verse 25. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. 
So what happened is that he heard the music, maybe he smelt the barbecue, he saw the crowds, he knew that there was a party going on, but here's the reality, he couldn't access that party. And can I just say as an aside, at the centre of the universe, there's a party planner. Isn't that amazing? I don't know how many of you love parties. We love parties here in this church. I know maybe some, some of you, you know, maybe you're a little bit more introvert. You don't like parties and big crowds. and We get that. But we love parties so much because at the centre of the universe, there's a God who is a party planner. He loves parties and so do we. And so in a couple of weeks time, we have the dream team party, which is for any of you that serve in the life of the church. Maybe some of you, you've heard it's a glitter and glow party with a silent disco. Yes, a couple of you went, Woo! some of you are dying. You're cringing, your toes are curling. Listen, come along. It's going to be amazing. If you've not responded to the invite, please respond and please come. And you might not like crowds and you might not like silent discos, but the heart of it is this is a celebration of who God is and what God does. And that's why I love God so much, that the heart of the universe is not a somber God who wants to stop us having fun, who wants to, who's down on joy, who's down on laughter. We have a party planning God at the centre of the universe. That's amazing, isn't it? That's the good news. But this young guy, or this older son, this older brother, he couldn't access the party. Why? Because he's so full of resentment. And you see, resentment and joy don't live together. When you and I are full of resentment, maybe towards other people or maybe even towards God, when we hear party, when we think of noise, when we think of celebration, when we think of joy, we can't access that joy because we are so full of resentment. Let's go back to the story. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Near Eastern scholars reckon that the language of this is a little bit different. That Actually, it's a little bit like he said to one of the lads, hey, what's going on? That's kind of the implication in this. And then it goes on, the next verse. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And that phrase safe and sound has got the implication of a really big Bible word called shalom. Which, which isn't just peace, it's wholeness, it's health, it's completeness, it's as it should be. This is why we pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, your shalom come, your completeness, your health, your wholeness, as it should be. And the servant, one of the lads is saying to the older brother, hey, your younger son has come home. This now is shalom. He is safe and sound. This is where he belongs. And I love that. His response should have been, that's amazing. I'm going to change my clothes, get washed, put my dancing shoes on and I'll be there in a minute. But that wasn't his reaction. Look at what happens. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. This story is so amazing. He became angry. That word angry is a seething anger. It's a resentment anger. It's an anger that's built up over a long time. That anger has gnawed away at his soul. It's like built up and built up. And it's like there's a sh- you know, shaking the bottle of pop. And all of a sudden, when he realises that the son has come home and dad is throwing a party for this son who doesn't deserve it, it's like taking the top off a shaken up bottle of pop and this anger just vents out everywhere. And that's exactly what happens here. You see, what would he do? I ain't going to get my dancing shoes on. I'm not going to get washed and clean and go into the party. Do you know what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to look for a pot. That's what I'm going to do, not that kind of pot. I'm going to look for a clay pot. Remember last week, this clay pot called Kazaza. This is what should have happened. And if he could, he'd get this pot and he'd say, Dad, this is what should have happened to that son. This is what the community would have done. In Aramaic, it means cutting off. It would have been filled with parched uh, nuts and corn. And they would have smashed it in front of the younger son saying, you are cut off. And I think the older brother would say, Dad, this is what you should have done. You should have smashed that pot in front of the son because he doesn't deserve what you're giving him. He doesn't deserve mercy. He doesn't deserve grace. He doesn't deserve anything, but I do. That's what he would have done. And so he's so full of resentment. He's so full of anger. And the Bible says the father went out to look for him. The implication in the language here is the same phrasing as the shepherd that left the 99 to look for the one, as the woman that turned the house upside down. It's that this is the second time today that the father has gone out of the house to look for a lost son. And we don't get that. The second time today. So he went out running for the, lost, for the prodigal son that came home. Now he goes out of the house looking and pleading for the elder brother who's left the house in anger and resentment. And then it says this. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. No, it's not with you, but for you. This is the heart of religion. What we do for God is the heart of religion. Relationship is so different. And never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And this breaks me. But when this son of yours, notice he doesn't say this brother of mine. He says this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. (laughs) This son of yours, not this brother of mine, what's he doing? This is so important. What he's doing is he's creating distance between himself and, and his brother. What he's doing is he's putting a label on someone else and he's pushing somebody into a box and he's saying, those people over there, they over there, other than me, not this brother of mine, but this son of yours. He's abdicating his responsibility to be his brother's keeper. And instead, he's relegating him into a box and putting a label and a stigma over his life. You see, the older brother syndrome that you and I can fall into, and I know this, me and Alison talk about this a lot. We were brought up in church, okay? I went to church in, in, in the womb of my mother, okay? I've been brought up in church. This is something can happen to us where we become the older brother. And when you're an older brother, okay, then what happens is that you often don't see your blind spots. He said, I never disobeyed your orders. Really, you never disobeyed? We don't see our brokenness. We don't see our judgmentalism. We don't see our ego. We don't see our pride. And then when somebody else gets something that we don't think they deserve, what does it bring out of us? Not joy, but resentment and anger. And I look at that and I think, oh my gosh. And that distancing himself, this son of yours, not a brother of mine, he's a son of yours. He's other than, and we push them into a box. Listen, I wanna wanna get passionate now. The day the church refuses to accept people who are messy or messed up is the day the church refuses to accept me or you, right? 
The day the church refuses to accept people who are messy or who are messed up is the day the church stops being the church. Now listen, this me be really, really crystal clear. That doesn't mean, doesn't mean we approve of everything or we agree with everything. We can accept without approving or agreeing. We accept because we love because God first loved us. I don't know about you, but I know I'm broken, aren't you? I'm messy. I don't deserve it. This is what I deserve. I deserve the pot to be smashed on the ground. That's what I deserve, but I don't do that because God intercepted that shame. He got there before the shame got to me. He took the judgment on himself so I wouldn't have to bear it. And if that's true of me, it's true of every single person on planet Earth. And so what I love about this is, and the day that the church resorts to putting people in boxes, you know, them, they, those, the day that that happens is the day we stop being the church. Every single person on planet Earth is an individual loved by God, regardless of that label that we want to put on them, regardless of that stigma, regardless of that experience, regardless of that belief. It doesn't mean we agree. It doesn't mean we approve or affirm. What it does mean is we accept, we embrace and we love. Can I hear an amen in the house? We're going Pentecostal here this morning. And the reality is, the reality is, that the Father is going out to him and the Father, his heart is drawn towards him because he realises that this son of his, he knows the rules, but he doesn't have the relationship. The honeymoon is over and now it's a tired and worn out marriage. At this point, the older son becomes the lost son. He becomes a prodigal son guy called Wayne Jacobson, who I love his writing, he says, if there are two ways to hide from God's love, rebellion and religion. And maybe some of you have done the rebellion uh, and maybe you've gone away from God. Maybe you never thought about God and you're on a journey back or you've come back. Maybe some of us, we believe in God and we do the religion thing, but we don't have a heart relationship. You see, here's the truth. You can be lost in resentment as well as lost in rebellion. Resentment's such a powerful thing, isn't it? And we'll talk about that in a little, in a little moment. But you know, here's the other thing. You can be lost in religion rather than found in relationship. You see, to me, what's most powerful is, is this younger son that the father says, look, he was lost and now he's found. The elder son was found and now finds himself lost. What about you? What about you? Maybe you are the younger son, and Andy's going to talk about that next week. You know, maybe you are the younger son who's just gone away, or maybe you're the elder brother. You've never really gone away, and you're a good boy and a good girl in terms of God, but actually in your heart, there's resentment, maybe towards other people, maybe towards God. But what it means is that you can't access joy. And when someone else comes home, all you can think is they should get what they deserve. Whereas you didn't get what you deserved, did you? You got grace. You got forgiveness. You got overwhelming acceptance, embrace and love. That's what actually every single person will get from God. So what does the father do? Does the father say, how dare you speak to me like that? How dare you speak to me like that? I've already had my heart broken by the younger son and now I'm having my heart broken by yours. No, he doesn't say that. Look at what he says. This is amazing. My son, the father said, you're always with me. 
Everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, see what he's doing there? That's so genius. Not this son of mine, this brother of yours. Let me push it back a little bit. You are your brother's keeper. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is what he does. He goes to win the heart of the son, not to win the argument. My heart's broken right now for the state of the church in the West, the division in the church around issues of sexuality, around issues of, of, of politics, around issues of, of, of gender, men and women, all of that. And I think, oh my God, please God, can we get back to winning relationship rather than being fixated on winning an argument? Can we get back to restoring relationship rather than saying who's right and who's wrong? And there is, there is stuff in that. I get all of that. There is right and wrong and there is approval and all of that. I get all of that. But the heart of the father is to say to his son, I don't want to win the argument. I want to win your heart. I want, this is our God, isn't it? This is our God. And this elder brother, I don't know, but somehow he just can't quite see it. He was lost and he's found. But now this son, you were found. But now you're lost. So how does the story end? Well, here's the genius of Jesus. We don't really know how the story ends, do we? We don't know how the story ends. We just don't know. Because what happens is that he pleads with his father. He pleads with him to come home. Did he come home? We don't know. Did the prodigal son leave and go home again? We don't know. And the reason that we don't know is because the genius of Jesus is this. He doesn't finish the story because you and I have to. We have to finish the story. What happens? Let's go back to the painting we looked at last week, the Rembrandt. This is hanging in the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg, one of the finest pieces of art ever painted. And we see the prodigal, the, the father with his hands, remember that masculine, feminine hand that Rembrandt painted on the shoulders of the prodigal son as the prodigal son grabs hold of his loving father. And then here we see the older brother, distant, observing, hands clasped. That's what religion does. That's what resentment does to you and to I. And interestingly enough, in the middle, there's a kind of a gap between the, 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 the father and the son. In the middle and the gap, that's where you and I stand and sit today, 2,000 years later. We're in the gap. What are we going to do? And it's in the gap where God sent Jesus to be and to live and to die so that you and I can have a relationship with Him. Rebellion or religion, you're just as lost in either. But actually, when we come to God in relationship, then we are home. That's shalom. So I want to ask you three questions today to get, to get practical. Number one, check your relationship status. Where are you with the Father today? And listen, if you, if you haven't, ever accepted Jesus as your own Lord and leader of your life, then you can do that. And one of the best ways to do it is, is joining us on the Alpha course. We'd love you to join us on the Alpha course. That's one of the best ways you can do that. Okay, check your relationship status. But if you are already a Christian and a follower of Jesus, but you know that you're more the elder brother, maybe you can check that status today as well. Maybe you can say, hey God, I'm so distant from you right now. I wanna come home. I wanna find you again. Number two, check your resentment status. Oh, this is a big one, isn't it? You know, Craig Rochelle puts it this way. Envy 
is when you resent God's goodness in other people's lives and ignore God's goodness in your own life. How many of us are living full of resentment right now? Oh, look at what they got. Look at what he got. Look at what she got. Look at what they have. Look at what happens to them. That never happens to me. And then that resentment towards other people soon becomes resentment towards God. Maybe you and I need to check our resentment status. And then number three, check your responsibility status. Let's go back to the original question I asked. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, the answer is, yes, you absolutely are. And I don't mean your physical, biological brother or sister. I mean that other human being. Maybe that human being that we push into a box and say, this son of yours, this daughter of yours, rather than this brother or this sister of mine. But when we check our responsibility status, we say, God, you've given me that responsibility to go for that person, to build the relationship, to not win the argument, but to win the heart, because that's who you are. In a moment, we're going to take communion together, which we do on a kind of monthly basis. I'm going to ask the hosts if they can come and move out to the spaces now. We have four stations in the, back, the side there, in the back and the front. And this is open to all of you. And, and in one of the sites, you should have some communion there as well. And hey, if you're at home watching online, would love you to go and get a little bit of bread or juice or whatever you want to use. Uh, and in these moments, we're going to take communion together. We're going to remind ourselves that these are emblems, they're symbols of what God has done in the gap between you and Him, of what Jesus did when He laid down His life. And that's called grace. It means that we receive from God what we don't deserve, but what God in His goodness gives to us. And this is the way that we deal with our resentment, isn't it? When we remind ourselves what God has done for us. And when we start looking at other people and we see that envy and that resentment building up and building up and we can't access joy, we remind ourselves that we were lost, but now we're found. We were dead, but now we are alive. And I want to invite all of you, any of you in these moments to come and to eat and to drink together. And in the process of doing that, to bring your heart to God again. And maybe if you identify a little bit of the older brother, older sister syndrome. Maybe today you can say, God, would you touch my heart? Would you touch my heart again? And God, I lay down my burden. I lay down my resentment. I lay down my anger. Apparently Dwight Eisenhower, when he was at president of the United States, when he was 10, he was really angry about a kid at school and he went out and he bashed the apple tree with his fist until it bled. And he tells a story of where his mom would sit, sat down with him in the evening and talk to him about the Scriptures and what God says about anger and resentment and how to deal with that. And apparently all the way through his life and his presidency, if somebody angered him and he started to get resentment, he'd write their name on a piece of paper and stick it in the, in the bottom drawer just to say, I'm dealing with that and I'm going to let it go. I don't know what it is for you. I know for me, if I don't deal with resentment, resentment will deal with me. And that anger means I'll never access the joy and the peace and the grace that God has for us. So I want to invite you, if you're willing and able, to stand with me and I want to pray for you. And then I'm going to invite you to go take communion. The guys are going to sing over us this morning a little bit. And as they sing, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to do work in you as you move around. And if you're newer to faith and you're not sure about this, this is open for you. It's open for you. 
Okay, don't worry about that at all. Just come, you eat a little bit of bread, you drink a little bit of juice. That's just symbolic of the body and the blood of Jesus that was broken and spilt and shed and ripped apart so that you and I could know grace and forgiveness today. Let me pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness today. Jesus, thank You that when we look through the eyes of the older brother, God, we still see a loving, loving Father who went out of the house again to search and to plead that his lost son would come home really in relationship. And God, that's the God that You are. So Lord, today we come and we lay down our resentment. We lay down our anger. We lay down our disappointment. We lay down our pride, our arrogance, our judgmentalism. We lay down our frustration and we lay that down. And God, we say, Jesus, would You fill us again with Your love and with Your grace? We wanna be people who love like You do. We wanna be people who, who have joy like You wanna have. We wanna be people in the party, not people outside looking in. So Jesus, would You come? Holy Spirit, would You come? And I pray, I just sense that there are some of us here today and, and we're hurt right now, we're, we are angry. Oh, I'm not angry. We'd say, I'm just frustrated. No, you're angry. Maybe it's seething anger. Somebody hurt you. Somebody always seems to get what you want or what you think you deserve. And you know that resentment is keeping you out of the party. It's keeping you away from the joy. Today is the day when you let it go. Today is the day when you put it down. Today, if you choose, is the day when you give it to God. Your Father, who doesn't want to win the argument, He wants to win your heart. So Lord, thank You, we pray. And as we sing, and as we move, and as we take communion, Holy Spirit, would You come and fill this place, and our sights, and all of those people at home, we pray. And would You bring us to the heart of the Father again, in Jesus' Name. Amen.